This is Nerd Podcast Radio, brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash nerdpodcastradio. Check out and support us on Patreon for tons of content, including a bonus episode for each episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, the best way to do that is our Nerd Podcast Radio Facebook page, where we share all sorts of nerdy stuff. You can also find us on Instagram, at Nerd Podcast Radio, and on Twitter, at Nerdcast Radio. Don't forget to review us on iTunes or whatever podcast provider you use. Reviews are important as they help our podcast grow. Thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Nerd Podcast Radio, your nerd home away from home. Welcome to Nerd Podcast Radio. This is your host today, Super Vegan Brian, and I am joined by David Theobaldother. Hey, everybody. And our special guest. She was found in a junkyard and reassembled by a brilliant scientist. We call her Alita Battle Angel. Hello, good morning. I was found in a junkyard. How did you know? (laughs) (laughs) For those of our listeners who have never met Alita on an episode, she's only been on two before. Alita, please give a short introduction about yourself. Well, everything I do is short because I'm not very tall. Um, A short introduction is I am a color chemist, Muppet enthusiast, Tim Burton enthusiast, uh, artist, musician, um, weirdo, and all-around fabulous. Wow. That is fantastic. Great, great, great introduction. Um, I want to give a few nods to stuff that's going on. Um, David is in California, and the heat has started, so he will be running his fan. Just bear with me. Because... You know, I, I'm sacrificing audio quality for quality of life. It has been so stupid hot here the last couple of days. Um, like stupid hot. How are how are you doing with your, your heat sleep? Uh not great. Not great. I think I got let's see, I was uh, Friday night or Thursday night I got about three hours. And then we make you come on at the crack of eight in the morning. <laughs> right. Like, I had just fallen asleep at, like, 2.30 last night, finally. <laughs> Alita, um, you know, we all talked about it um, last week when we were on. How is the quarantine um, shelter-in-place affecting you? Well, um, uh, my person and I are having uh, some illness problems, and so we're doing a lot of puzzles, um, you know, Sweating a lot. We haven't killed each other yet, so that's pretty good. We're kind of like laughing a lot, watching a lot of um, silly uh, things on Netflix. And um, I miss people. I love to people. So my little Muppet self is going a little nuts. Um, I was so excited uh, to get to talk to random people like on the street as they're walking and we're, you know, out on the trail. I'm like, oh, hi, a person, a person. Yay. They (laughs) do exist. (laughs) I know. I'm no person. What? Be my friend, but only from a safe distance. Yeah. (laughs) So other, other than my extrovert going a little nutso, like I'm, 
we're doing well. Well, um, I want to say that Alita and I live in the same apartment, as we have brought up. Apartment building. I was going to say, what did the that same change? Same apartment building, as we have brought up on previous <laughs> episodes. And when I have run into her from more than six feet apart, obviously, um, we have um, – she has – desperately been asking to be on the podcast because it's boring to shelter in place and we have finally made it happen Uh, (laughs) right around all this happened was the time we were planning on having amelia on and you know amelia mucked everything up with the extra-dimensional portal which set things back a bit Uh, Um, i blame her for all this as of today it's only three of us because of a few things one um erica has been um, taken in by the TPA, uh, the trans, the trans dimensional portal, um, association or what is it? Administration, administration, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, she has been, she has been brought in. Yeah. We need to come Uh, up with bail. It was odd enough. They, (laughs) they just, they, they just showed up at our house and drove her off in a crown Vic. I expected something a little bit more sci-fi, but yeah, it, um, I think she's, I think she's being kept in, you know, being kept somewhere in Ohio, at, you know, like now and not in any strange place or anything. It's not. Yeah, it's well, not the, the, the problem is, is we got to come up with thirty five thousand quatloos. And I'm not sure what a quatloo is. So. And, you know, then that, that's <laughs> the fact that the, <laughs> the, the arresting officer was a Gamoran or yeah. what do they call it? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's just it. Yeah, there's some there's some odd stuff going on. So at the end of the episode, I'm going to be telling my story about my adventures with the portal for the first time. Ooh. Um, So stay um, tuned. And in this episode, um, we are talking about Tim Burton, which is a, you know, director we all love to love or love to hate or hate to love or hate to hate, as we will find out in this episode. Um, Uh. um, Alita has gone to do a whole bunch of research on Tim Burton, and we're going to talk about it. But first... But first, we get to play everybody's favorite game, What's Nerdy With You, where we talk about the nerdy things we've done over the last few days, and then we vote using the Mike Myler widget system, patented Mike Myler widget system, and decide who was the nerdiest. Last few days, last few weeks, last few months. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Like, yeah. in- insert length of time here. <laughs> uh, Alita, what's nerdy with you? Oh, what's nerdy with me? I actually... Well, besides the fact that I went through and I have honestly like 10 pages of notes on Tim Burton and got in a YouTube hole um, with him as well as reading three books and um, learning all kinds of stuff I didn't actually know and going through pages and pages and pages of his artwork, his history, his uh, um, education history and and all that so there's that thing um but that's like tuesday what do you do you do that normally <laughs> it's true i love to research things like i like to know um everything about anything at any given moment um i haven't actually done anything super nerdy as far as you know normally it's my chemistry stuff but i have been so um not myself and you know kind of down and out and just hanging out with Wendy that I, uh, you know, this is the nerdiest thing I probably did that and explaining, um, I did explain the chemistry of hair color and how it affects, 
um, the hair shaft and why um, and why gray hair is more wily than uh, pigmented hair. I did explain that to somebody because they were bitching about box color and all that. So I did that. Okay, this is this is a tangent. (laughs) But that's about it. Do that now. No, this is a tangent we're going to explore. I want to know all about gray hair and dye and what the difference is. You're you're going to you're going to do this now. Even it's going to hijack the entire episode. I don't care. I need to know this. Okay. So um, in the industry, we also call so gray hair. We also call non-pigmented or to flatter my clients. I call them mature blonde. Right. So it's that silver mature blonde. And what it is, is it's missing a layer. It's um, it's missing the melanin. Right. And so that helps create the softness and the suppleness. It's because the um, the pigment is gone. That uh, that's why it gets more wily and wiry and it has a different texture because it doesn't have the suppleness of the melanin and the other um, components in the hair strand anymore that depletes over time. Uh, that's why little kid hair is like super soft and like you get different light reflection in uh, someone who's under the age of 12 than you do someone who's gone through adolescence because your um, skin changes, your your hair changes, your nails change because your body chemistry changes. So um, as that goes on, once the, the melanin comes out, then it gets wiry and it turns gray. <laughs> that's interesting. I had no idea that the pigmentation had to do with the texture of the hair as well it yeah. does that's that's why um if you have ever met like a natural like redhead redhead they always seem to have thicker hair strands because of the type of pigment that's involved to create that light reflection yeah oh. yeah it's a real thing also with uh japanese hair because it's or asian hair the the closest to natural black that you can get um that is uh, creates uh, a thicker hair strand that's that has that slip, that silkiness to it that um, that you don't find in like a a standard like level five brunette or a you know level eight blonde, which is like that dirty blonde or like the standard like mousy brown sort of color. Yeah. Now, one of the things you had told me about being a dye expert and a what what do you call it? A pigmentation scientist or what, what was <laughs> color your chemist? <laughs> color pigmist? Colored chemist. Color chemist. Mm-hmm. Okay. A pig mist sounds like what happens when you explode a pig. <laughs> pig uh, mist. <laughs> um, a color chemist. Um, working with hair isn't your usual thing, right? You 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 had told me that you were back to hair, but you you would you normally work with pig with pigments and dyes for like all sorts of things, right? Correct. So um. My first, well, I got into color chemistry originally to be in the beauty industry. And so I've been in the beauty industry for like 15 years, but I took um, three years off and I was working in aluminum anodizing. So I was doing uh, anodal dyes for aluminum anodizing, like for Kershaw and Gerber and Leatherman, those, those fun colors that you see on the knife handles and stuff. I make colors like that because it still works with porosity. It still works with um, light reflection. And so it's actually a really similar uh, concept to creating hair color. Wow, that is fascinating. I'm, that's awesome. I've never, never thought about what goes into it. 
Oh, that, that, that makes sense because Gerber is a Portland company. Huh. Yeah. Yes, I, Yeah. <laughs> I always forget that. <laughs> you know, people mention Gerber all the time here um, because it's such a big employer here. Um, I, I am, I am fascinated, Alita. It, I'm going to move on because we have to eventually, but I, the science of your job, when we do another science episode, I'm thinking you're our, you're going to be one of our guests. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. The, oh my gosh. I'd love that. Cause right yeah. now I'm doing pop culture ones, but I'd love to do science nerdy, nerdy, nerdy. Dark. We haven't done a science episode in a very long time. I think we haven't done one since we had Christy on and we talked about graphene. Oh, right. Wow. Yeah. It's been, it's been a minute. Uh, no, no, we did the women in science episode. Oh yeah, yeah, that wasn't too long ago. You're right. Yeah, we did do that. With, um, they do tend to bleed. I wasn't invited to the women in science episode. That's it. I'm taking my toys and going home. Actually, well, I think you were. I think you were just busy or something. Yeah, I think you were. Okay, fine, fair enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think you were the first person we thought of just to <laughs> to twist the knife a little bit more. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> the um so um david what's nerdy with you um honestly not much uh, i've been i'm essential so i've been working uh full-time still and coming home and trying to get sleep and playing wow a lot dungeons and dragons i i haven't really done much different than what i was doing two weeks ago when you asked so <laughs> um well, well no, that's not that's not true um actually hold on uh my Red Fair reenactors group on Facebook, we've been uh, posting a lot of pictures. So I actually got dressed up in my Red Fair costume and a few, uh, uh, for a quote-unquote uh, remote party we were having of everybody wanting to get in costume and just feel like a group. So a bunch of people hopped in. A, I think it was a Zoom, a Zoom meeting, and I didn't actually join them there, but I sent a couple of pictures. And uh, that was it was fun. It was apparently a, quite a blast. But all, well, people have been sharing pictures of what they've been doing in their time off, and how they're trying to keep the fair spirit alive. And apparently, we're planning some sort of blowout for when this is all over. Well, there is something about D and D and Ren Fair and hobbies you do that I've been thinking about for a while. So, in a past episode a while back, you talked about how. You would like to have a skill. We were talking about musical instruments, and you were like to have something that brings more meaning in the world and does more for other people rather than just for you. Yes. That stuck in my head. And I was thinking about games I played with you running as a GM. Mm-hmm. You, the way you run games and the way you present yourself at cons, you create lots of meaning and happiness for other people. Aww. And I wanted to make sure I told you that that. Well, also, at Renfair, I haven't seen it, but I've heard the way you describe it. You're you're doing it for fun for you, but you're creating experiences for other people. So if you have a quest to create more for the world, just know that you you're kind of on that already. <laughs> well, you, you've been you've been working pretty hard to do it without even knowing it. I think. Well, thank you. Uh, it, it stuck in my head. I, I sorry. I'm sorry to get mushy on the podcast, but yeah, I've been wanting to say that. No, well, thank you. That that uh, that means a lot. Um, my turn. Yeah. What? How about you, Brian? What you, what's nerdy with you? Yeah, I played WoW. So <laughs> you know, Alita wins. 
<laughs> well, that's only because you made me nerd out like on the spot just now. <laughs> well, actually, I, we, didn't, I, we didn't make you. You just did. It's great. Oh, well, I that's true. I am breathing. I kind of nerd out on my own. You know, David, do you want a second that we don't need to vote? Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, Alita yeah, wins. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I. You know, I killed the widgets again. We never really, you know, I've been wanting to say this for a while, and I wish we had more hosts on to talk about it. But I'm gonna bring it up anyway. I'll bring it up again another episode. David, yes, we've never talked about when we talk about the widgets. What do you imagine them looking like? You know, I've always uh, it's kind of uh, it changes sometimes based on what we've been talking about them being able to do and move and you know just certain things, but. Um, I've always pictured, like, some sort of little, like, coin or something that moves on its own and has, you, you know, some sort of, like, D&D monster coin that moves around on you. You're not looking at it, and all of a sudden you look again, and it's not where it was before. That's interesting. <laughs> I always pictured that they, they're, they're a gear with an eye in the center. Oh, okay. Which is, which is kind of a Pokemon-esque kind of image of them but i since um since mike myler first mentioned widgets to us i the first thing i thought of was a gear nice because okay. i think of widgets as mass-produced manufacturer yeah and so when when you receive the widgets do they look the way you imagine them <laughs> <laughs> to me they're, uh, they're far more adorable than you would you would ever imagine well, that's good. You didn't they look get the like angles. little Fraggle Rock characters to me, but everything looks like a Fraggle Rock character <laughs> if I get to make it up in my brain. Because I find that when I look at the widgets, I can't really grasp what they look like and can't describe it. But I always go back to my original imagined idea. That's good. I like it. <laughs> I think it's, it depends on who gets the widgets because they're, they shapeshift into whatever energy they of whoever they, they are given to. Oh. You know, it's really hard to grasp non-Euclidean geometry when <laughs> <laughs> when presented with it in reality. Uh, it's about to get a little non-Newtonian up in here. And now we are now we are eventually it adds to the narrative, and we will eventually find out that the widgets come from Erlay. <laughs> oh. oh man! <laughs> um, so, um, Alita, you win. Um, we don't have a number of, well, I guess it would be four widgets each. So you will receive 12 widgets, um, by a social distancing, um, interdimensional postal worker at some point. Yeah. Um, but you, but you live in the same building. Can't you just like leave them out and let them go to her place? <laughs> but I'm not well, there right now. I'm, I'm up at, um, my person's house. Oh, one of the great, one right. of the great things about interdimensional delivery services is that they will find you. But, you know, <laughs> what, you know, people, our guests keep complaining that they don't receive the widgets when they win. And one of the things about the interdimensional postal services, they can't really they can't you know, it's hard for them to track you down to a single moment. So they look for the most important moment. So on your dying day, you'll receive a shit ton of widgets. <laughs> Yeah, because I think I've won every single time that I've been on the podcast. So I'm just going to have that's going to be what's at my wake is just a bunch of widgets. You know, it tends to happen with our guests, except when we had Rusty on. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Um, to be fair, our guests are usually dirty as, dirty as hell, so... Rusty probably should have won, but I wanted... I, I thought David's was nerdier, honestly. Oh. Rusty was on last week, and he made a crossbow. That was He, he made it's, a crossbow. It's pretty epic. Yeah. Okay, that's amazing, and I'm slightly jealous. But David had... Um, David had, was running three D and D games and um, and playing in two at the same yeah. time. Still and five from games my a perspective, week. <laughs> just I've done that before, so I had to put David over the tipping point. So Rusty, you probably should have won. Personal experience knocked you out of the park, <laughs> 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 which happens sometimes in this game. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So um. Segways are weird, right? So yes. we're going to talk about Tim Burton today. <laughs> you guys sound so excited about it. <laughs> Jeez. I know neither one of you are, are as intrigued as I am, but, uh, you know, I brought up the, the topic and you said, yeah, let's do it. And now it's just the three of us. So. Well, one of the things about this episode is I was really excited because I knew I didn't have to do any research at all. <laughs> I mean, that's good for me, right? Um, I, you know, I get up in the morning, I throw together an outline in 15 minutes, and then um, our guest does all the work. So, um, Alita, why don't you give us a little intro about Tim Burton? Brian, why do you give away the secrets? <laughs> Come on, man. It's true. You don't have to work for something for the jerk. bonus episode. I just, you know... I have so much work to do keeping the fabric of the universe together with our unstable equipment. So actually making the po the podcast a quality podcast is secondary. I'm surprised you haven't I'm surprised you haven't figured out a way to clone yourself yet. Oh that's scary. Don't don't, do you, don't suggest that. What do you think? What do you think all the work on Michael has been about? <laughs> I know. I'm saying I'm surprised you haven't been able to get one that's stable yet. It you know I yeah, but he's not stable to begin with, sweetheart. So something I think if Tim, you know, you know, ten years from now, um, we're all going to be talking about the time that Tim Burton made our podcast into a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I probably still won't watch it. Oh. <laughs> Oh, well, he's so, getting up there in age, though. Well, I mean, you, you, Alita, are obviously the pro. Uh, Brian is the meh, and I'm the, I'm the con. So <laughs> that's, that's really excited about Tim Burton movies, and and when we talk about favorite films, I can, I'm gonna give some really surprising opinions. I and and least favorite films, and I'm sure even though Alita really likes Tim Burton and knows a lot about Tim Burton, there's stuff she doesn't like too because I know what kind of person she is and she's she can be critical as well yeah oh no there's definitely some stuff that i don't like like um i didn't like the makeup on beetlejuice because i don't like oogie right so like it was too graphic and weird like the weird sores and shit on it sorry the weird sores and stuff on his face i was not a fan of um but the thing that i like about tim burton is like he was super so he's incredibly awkward he's an only child Right. He grew up in Burbank, California, um, in the uh, late 50s, early 60s. And um, 
his mom was kind of a weirdo in that she owned a um, she she owned a gift shop in Burbank called Cats Plus, and everything in there was all feline themed. It was all cats, every single thing in there, which is kind of funny and quirky and weird. But Dad was right, and Dad was a formal former baseball player and worked at um, parks the the Burbank Park and Rec. And so he got a lot of pressure from his father to fit in and be sporty, you know, be a jock, um, fit in, be good in academic. And he was an isolating weirdo with this great imagination and super introverted. So he was kind of torn between all that, um, but was really talented at a very young age. He decided to develop this fearlessness with drawing uh, and just be like, you know what? I'm just going to draw what I want. I'm just going to do it. I mean, he he uh, in ninth grade, he won a contest um, for an anti litter campaign uh, in which the poster was um, on the side of the Burbank uh, garbage trucks. Right. So he won like 10 bucks in first prize. <laughs> so and, and because of that, he went on to get a scholarship to Cal Arts in 1976 because they were um, uh, starting a new uh, animation program. Right. And and in that time, by the time he graduated um, in 1979, he uh, he was hired by Disney. And his <laughs> his first um, his first job was actually doing artwork for Fox and Hound, the, the Disney film Fox and Hound. But they didn't accept any of his sketches because to quote him, uh, he said, I couldn't even fake the Disney style. Mine looked like road kills. So <laughs> they just gave me a lot of faraway shots to do. So he ended up just doing background art because he couldn't adapt to their style as far as the characters go. But he, one, he still uh, one of the things to add into that is before he worked with Disney, he um, he worked on the Ralph Bakshi Lord of the Rings animated movie. Did he really? He was an in-between artist. Oh yeah, and he did a he did a lot of stuff like that and a lot of concept work too. He never did like straight up character art because his his uh, I didn't know that though. Hey, yeah, he was not credited, but he was he was he did work on the project. It was his first film production. Okay, before he got hired on on at Disney. Yeah, fifteen minutes of research, really, really. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh hush. <laughs> You're funny. Uh, yeah, and and so the thing that I like is that he, you know, even though he got this opportunity with, with Disney, like, he could have adapted his style. He could have, you know, just become, like, a zombie factory worker, you know, who happened to be an artist and just, you know, pumped out what they wanted. But he was so much himself that he was like, no, I'm, I'm just going to be me. And... Uh, Thankfully, people recognized that at Disney, and he got you know two great cheerleaders out of it that that helped him produce um, Vincent and Frankenweenie and some other things for the fledgling Disney Channel in the early eighties. Yeah, interesting. One uh-huh. of the interesting things was one of my favorite Disney movies he worked as an artist on was The Black Cauldron, yes. which was a movie that Disney tried as hard as they could to kill because they thought it was too dark. And it's if it was fully realized and accepted, it would have been amazing because those books are great and should have been handled correctly. I hope they make it into live action. Um, 
but yeah, he worked on that, and you can you can see his style in the movies. I mean, there, it's there. It's very there. Even though, well, he did the concept work, but they never took his actual drawings. Like they they went and they build on they built on his drawings. Yeah. And softened them and made them more Disney. But yeah, he was a concept artist. He did some like two hundred different characters as far as like weird little creatures and stuff. Yeah, he injected spirit into the film rather than creating it. Absolutely. And that's that's how he found like Julie Hickson and uh, Tim Wilty, like the the ones that ended up producing his his first few films and kind of helped get him off the ground. You know, and he did stuff for like I don't know if you remember uh Shelley Duvall's fairy tale theater, like in like nineteen eighty four. But he directed one of the um, he he did the concept work and directed one of the uh, episodes of uh, Aladdin and his wonderful lamp. And it had a bunch of people in it. It had like James Earl Jones and Valerie Bertinelli and some other people. In it. Wow. No, I, I've never actually even heard of that. I need to check that out. Christopher Reeves was in it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it had a bunch of people in it. And uh you know, um, then from there you got uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which of course, 1985, that is his first um, big uh, feature film and uh, that he directed. And is in time for me to inject the tangent. Okay. So Pee Wee's Big Adventure was my first experience with Tim Burton. Oh, okay. So it was 1985. I was either. I don't remember when it came out. I don't remember if it came out during the summer or not. Um, I was, if I, it was 1985, I was either in kindergarten or going into first grade um, or in, or starting first grade, something like that. But I remember I wanted to see Godzilla 1985. I really did. That was, I was so excited. I want to see a Godzilla 1985. And my grandmother was like, no, that's going to be too scary for you. We're going to go see Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Nice. Think it's, about this. It's in <laughs> August, by the way. Yeah, so it was in the summer. It was me going into first grade. I I just... Godzilla, the silly suit-wearing monster, was going to be too scary for me. So instead, we're going to go to see Pee-wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a little creepy. The The large Marge thing... right. That stuck with me my entire life. I think I peed myself oh, Jesus. <laughs> when I was a little kid. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I really enjoyed the movie. I, 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 I especially, I mean, I came out of that singing tequila because of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I mean, it was the first time I'd ever heard that song. I remember it as, as far as childhood memories go. I remember like crystal clear that entire movie. And I can't say that for a lot of movies I saw when I was a little kid. And then when I see it again, I have the same experience that I did when I was little, including peeing myself during that large part scene. <laughs> no, that's, that's just because you're having a good time. I don't know. <laughs> um, well, so you're saying that it affected you. Like it was. Yeah, it really <laughs> did. I'm still disappointed. I, I've never seen Godzilla 1985. <laughs> and I remember how excited I was when I was a little kid. <laughs> well, so what about it affected you so much? Um, I think when I was little, I thought that the 
the daylight scenes looked weird. They were so crisp. I liked the idea of an adult who was still a kid. I mean, it was obvious that he was an adult, but he was also obvious that he was still a kid. I remember thinking when I was little, I was like, oh, man, I I, I think it's really neat that he has all these Rube Goldberg contraptions. I thought that was really cool. They establish him as being so quirky and smart right away. Um, And I think establishing him as brilliant first, some people are going to see him as brilliant. Some people are going to see Pee Wee as brilliant and other people are going to see him as a weirdo. And I think that was what Tim Burton was going for. I think it was presenting this like eternal man child as a genius, but some people are going to miss the genius. And I think that's probably true about Tim Burton. I think it was reflect. He was kind of showing himself as Pee Wee and Pee Wee was a character that already existed before this movie. So he had material to work with, but you can see where Tim Burton molded the character to be an artistic representation. And I think he presented himself in the character. That's actually a really good point. And, uh, you know that Tim Burton doesn't actually write any of his screenplays. The only one he's ever written is Vincent. And so um, Phil Hartman and Paul Rubens actually wrote the screenplay for Pee-wee's Big Adventure. But the, Interesting. I, but everything I mentioned is is how it was presented, not how it was written. It, you know, the, the, the whole Rube Goldberg contraction, it's the first thing you really see in the movie. It's, it's the character is woken up by it. It's, it you, you're shown it right away. I don't know. It's probably a combination of things, but I, I, I believe that the the director is showing a lot. That I, I think you see a lot of the darker side of Tim Burton when you get into the creepy aspects of it. Um, but if you compare Pee-wee's Big Adventure to the Paul Rubens produce, produced stuff like Pee-wee's Playhouse, you can see how different it is. But I mean, of course, Pee-wee's Big Adventure was a children's movie in name only, where Pee-wee's Playhouse is for kids with very slight subtext hidden in it. Slight. Okay. Well, the, the, the we can get into a whole thing about Pee-wee's Playhouse because Pee-wee's Playhouse was originally a stage show for adults where it had strong innuendo and then it was converted into a kid's show. Well, I never watched it as a kid, so I, I've only been, I only got introduced to Pee-wee as an adult. So how do how do you feel about uh, uh, Tim Burton's work, Mr. David? I am not a fan. Uh, his <laughs> art style is a little too creepy, and uh, I, I just—it's—I don't—I don't enjoy his work as much as other people. What I, uh, name? Name a few things. Like I, I'm wondering what what his body of work is in your head. Well, most of the stuff that comes out that his name is attached to—it's not a selling point for me. So, like some people, oh, Tim Burton's making a movie. I got to go see it. Me, it's like, oh, Tim Burton's making a movie. Well, there's a movie I don't need to see. <laughs> so I haven't seen a lot oh. of his stuff simply because I don't like his art style. Yeah, I understand that. And like uh, I, the the one that really sticks in my mind was when he redid Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and that movie is such a goddamn train wreck that I it's yeah I'm I'm just I'm not a fan. One of I the don't. interesting things about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is I I see where you're coming from how that movie is so weird. I enjoyed it as being someone who remembered the book very strongly and thought, wow, this is very good compared to the book. Like it's, it's, it's adapting the book very well. Um, yeah, but there the were book, a few the things. Book wasn't written as a, the book wasn't written as a children's book though. I and thought it was. 
Well, it might have been, but it was their children were different back then. <laughs> that book is very that book is very dark and very creepy. It has a lot of of undertones, and Rald and uh, Roldal was trying to make a statement with it. But uh, the the first movie that came out, the the Gene Wilder one from back in the day, was full of magic and whimsy, and it was it's a great kids movie and, and horror boat rides. <laughs> and yes, there was a terrifying horror boat ride, but. When they redid the movie, they took one horrifying scene and made the entire movie about crap like that. <laughs> like that stupid doll thing that catches on fire. It's just nightmare fuel. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny when it starts melting. <laughs> it's just it, That movie's just ridiculous. And I'm, uh, I don't know, I'm not a fan. The only thing I didn't like about that movie was adding Willy Wonka's backstory into it. Yeah, that was a big part of it. Um, the, one of the main problems for me was this, it, it, I I believe it was unneeded, and I don't think his style his style he took a lot of the whimsy out and replaced it with creep with creepy, and that's just it's not something I enjoy. I didn't like the whole. I didn't like Johnny Depp's decision to play the character as Michael Jackson. Yeah, there's that too. Oh my gosh, you guys are just ripping it apart. <laughs> it's well, and what's funny is uh, okay, so here's our little um, connection between two of the the two podcasts that I was really excited to do. The other one being the Jim Hansen one, and now the Tim Burton one. Here's the connection between the two: is uh, Deep Roy, who is uh, who plays all the Oompa Loompas in uh, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The remake, and he's also Mr. Soggy Bottom in Big Fish, which is my favorite Tim Burton film. Um, he was one of the stuntmen um, for did Miss Piggy's stunts in the first Muppet movie. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So Deep Roy is the connection between Tim Burton. And yeah, that that was another thing about the the new. Sorry to get back on Charlie and Chocolate Factory, but uh, the the new the new version of it, the music sucked. The Oompa Loompas were unimaginative because they were all the same person. It was that didn't make any sense. Uh, it, it just the list of problems with it was immense, <laughs> and I, I just I don't like his visual style. I don't, and it, it's a personal thing. But it's you know it, he, all of his movies have the same themes as far as backgrounds and the way he shapes things, and I'm just I'm just not a fan. It's based on German expressionism, but. I get it. Like, um, you know, it's not for everybody. So uh, people are either fanatical and like love it and can kind of see it for what it is or uh, they they hate it just because it's it's so left field and it's so abrasive to some people. And they're, you know, and so I love it. I love that you're the, the anti Burton right now. David. I think <laughs> narrowing it down into two types is a little much because I I take each movie in on, on its own. I mean, there's like, for example, well, no, that's a bad example because he didn't direct Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, Nightmare Before Christmas is its own thing. It has a very strong of that German expression artistic style, but it's a different feel to something like um, Beetlejuice. Yes. You can, you can, if you if you look at the sets you can see a lot of similarities. So yeah, I, if you don't like that kind of thing, I can see how it would put a pall. I'm sure if you dug, you'd probably find something you liked more than other things, but because of your experience with the things you've seen, you're you're just not going to try anything else because you you know that that 
there's a chance that'll happen. I'm the same way with um oh who's I can't think of the guy's name. Who's that director that just tries to mind fuck you and makes movies about crap? Oh, uh, name a movie and I might be able to help. Nolan? Uh, no, no, no. The the Twin Peaks guy. Oh, Twin Peaks guy. Yeah, the guy who made Twin Peaks. Um, he um and um Mulholland yeah. Drive. Let me look this up. Um, I can't think of his name. Director. I can't either. David Lynch. But... David Lynch. Oh. Okay. Yeah, I I will not watch anything David Lynch does because I can't stand movies that don't make any sense for no reason. Mm. But I'm 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 sure I'm pigeonholing him because I'm sure there's something good out there, but I'm not going to watch anything he makes because of the experience I've had with a few movies. <laughs> Fair enough. Right. Yeah, I and I, so I understand not liking Tim Burton because of the experiences you've had. I do want to ask what do you think of the original Batman? The original Batman from back in the day, I think I've seen it twice maybe, and it was good. It, was, it came out when I was like really, really little kid. Yeah. It, yeah, it wasn't Tim something Batman. I was exposed to, but the Tim Burton Batman was all right. Um, I enjoy, I, I've enjoyed it more nowadays, but I'm also a huge Batman fan, so that helps. And while what he did with Gotham was interesting, um, his take on the characters was was. It almost what it it was definitely Tim Burton, but it wasn't him at his as I would quote Tim Burtonness. <laughs> it it he didn't he wasn't vomiting on the screen in my opinion. I think you know he I mean? deliberately held back a lot yeah. because he was handling another property. Exactly, and I yeah. So that that's actually I don't mind it at all. I think I, I as much as Jack Nicholson hates the fact that he that people remember him for it, I love his Joker. Well, you, uh, you kind of get an idea about because like Tim Burton held back in Batman. Then he made Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Then he held back in Batman Returns. Then he made The Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Nightmare Before Christmas was good, but I enjoy it a lot more for the Alita, uh, cinema huh. making part of it. Nightmare Before Christmas was a hell of a project. Was he making Nightmare Before Christmas during the production of the other movies? He, so Nightmare Before Christmas is essentially um, same with Edward Scissorhands. They were drawings, they were doodles, and uh, uh, things that he had been doing for years before. While he's doing these other movies, while he's you know hired by these studios to direct and do that. But the reason why you know, like you were saying, it wasn't dripping with Burton or. Burton-esque or whatever you said, uh, like the Batman films, um, it's because it wasn't his concept, it wasn't his design, it wasn't his world. Like he created um, the Edward Scissorhand world, he created the uh, Nightmare Before Christmas world, and they had started like way back, you know, in the mid '80s, him doing those drawings, and he got the same uh, screenwriter to actually write the screenplay for both. Her name was Christina Thompson, and he used her several times um, consistently throughout his career. And one thing that that I really like is that he he never wrote his own screenplays, but he would find these people that could just speak Burton because he doesn't like to use words a lot. So if he's going for a feel and for an image and for a a tone. Um, he would just find these people that got it. They just understood and they would write the story. He would have the characters, he would have the world all set up 
and they would write the story for him. So that was Edward Scissorhands and uh, and Nightmare Before Christmas. But yeah, they were like ten years in the making a piece. Yeah, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas is a marvelous technical accomplishment. I will never do. I will never say anything to discredit what a true marvel that movie is. The way it was made, the 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 hours and the the work that went into it are astounding. And it's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. I'm just I. I it's it's mostly his visual style. I'm just I'm not a fan of his visual style at all. And the ones where it's toned down, I enjoy a lot more than the ones where it's not. Um, <laughs> Like uh, I, I enjoyed Sweeney Todd. I think he did Sweeney Todd. Yes, he did. That was yeah. with uh, Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter. But he also every movie he does has Johnny Depp and Helena Bonham Carter. In <laughs> that's it, so that's great. That's that's a that's a generalization. But yeah, that's great. Um, that's one of the appeals to me um, for Tim Burton as a person is that he's consistent, he's loyal, and he knows what he likes, and he finds people that can convey that. Um, so he doesn't, you know, so he doesn't have to direct new people. Majority of, of the people that are in his films have been in at least three. Like if you look at the big block casts of especially his original work, he reuses the same actors because they get the feel and the energy that he's going for. And so the fact that he's that loyal and he uses the same uh, screenwriters and the same um uh, costume designers and all that in order to keep it consistent. Like that's just kind of his thing. And I don't know why that just, that really like touches me for, to see him as a person of, of how, uh, how important that is. Okay. I got you. Um, so I would like to get into, you know, we're at the 47 minute mark, so let's try to get some bullet points in. Um, so real quickly, Alita favorite movie and why? Uh, favorite movie would have to be Big Fish, definitely. Um, one, I love Albert Finney, and I really enjoy the tall tale aspect of it, and not to mention the um, relationship and the resolving of the relationship between the father and son, which was um, very important to Burton and he brings it up many different times because of his relationship with his father. And uh, I just love, I love the little vignettes, um, the fantastical yet still slightly grasp, um, graspable uh, stories that he tells and how it all kind of comes at the end where he realizes that, yeah, all these people existed. His dad just made it, you know, just stretch the truth a little bit, but they were up all actually real stories. So Big Fish is my favorite. All right. I can honestly say I've never seen it. It's amazing. I'm just saying. I know. And his art style isn't so prevalent in it. So you might actually like it a little what bit. Are, <laughs> one of the things that's good about it is, um, first off, Hugh McGregor. And, you know, he, he kind of touches any movie he makes and any movie he's in and it, it makes it better. Um, it's It's about him kind of tangling with the crazy stories his dad told him throughout his life about his dad's life. So you kind of go back and forth between reality and these like blown out of proportion stories. Mm -hmm. And that's where you see the art style is in the stories. So, you know, it's imaginary already, you know, it's stuff his dad told him. Um, I, I really, really like big fish. I, I think it's, it, it, it's probably one of the best movies anyone's ever made. Yeah, um, but you don't – if you didn't know it was a Tim Burton movie, you probably wouldn't notice. 
absolutely you wouldn't at all because it's it's just heartfelt. The only thing you would notice is the specific actors in them and like the way he does lighting in, in certain scenes as far as like with the witch or in when they're in the forest. Uh, that's the only thing you would actually notice as far as it having that artistic. Burden. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know you don't like him, David, but uh, do you have a favorite or one that you can stomach a little easier than the rest? <laughs> if I had to pick one, it would be either Nightmare Before Christmas or, like I said before, Sweeney Todd. Those two are really good. But I like the music in Sweeney Todd. The fact so. that you like Sweeney Todd really surprised me because I didn't. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Um, but I mean, that's really cool that you you liked it because it, well, I mean I, I think I, it's covered with Burton in, imagery. It is, but I saw the stage show and beforehand, and then I've seen the movie and I enjoy the movie. I, I like I, the stage show too. So I I oh. got to be jealous of my mom who told me that she saw it on Broadway with Angela Lansbury. Oh, nice. What? Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The original wow. production. Oh, I saw a production out here uh, a few years ago of it before before it came out obviously and my my friend that took me it was it was very good the the the, the show we saw was very good and then the movie came out and i actually liked the movie and i am a fan of johnny depp i enjoy his performances and things and when i go see movies i don't necessarily i i look at movies from uh more of a i was a film minor in college so i look at movies from more of a technical standpoint a lot of the time so that's one of the reasons I love Nightmare Before Christmas so much is that movie is a technical wonder and just the amount of work that went into making it insane. <laughs> Have you seen any of the Leica films? The what? The Leica films like the um, the um, Paranorman and um, the other stop motion films that Leica does. Um, oh, um, I, I saw a couple of the Walter and Gromis ones, but... The, oh, those uh, are different. Those are the... Yeah, oh, those, the okay. different company. Leica is... They make modern stop motion animation. They have revolutionized 3D printing technology. I I, I would okay. definitely. They check did. Them uh, out. Did did they do Coraline? They did. Okay, then yeah, I like Coraline was interesting. Yeah, the um they they actually developed the first um I I know it's not the first color 3D printer, but it's it's a new technology in color 3D printing that's probably going to revolutionize 3D printing, and they did it for stop motion animation, which is right. kind of cool. Yeah. Um. I um my favorite Tim Burton movie is a more recent one um is Big Eyes. Oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah with uh, Christoph Waltz and Amy Adams. And I don't know if the fact that Tim Burton, I mean it's such a subtle touch. You don't really notice Tim Burton's touch on that movie at all. It doesn't have any of the people. It's not oh. surreal. Let me look this movie up because that's yeah. uh yeah it's, yeah it, and that's the thing is is now in his uh as he. As he gets older, he's starting to actually just do more commercial stuff and not so much creative because he's doing his creative stuff like at for actual art exhibits, oh. right? Like at uh, at MoMA and okay. at the Neon Museum in Las Vegas. He's he's getting his outlet that way and just becoming sort of a director to the point where he's directing music videos for the Killers. And so, oh, wow. Big guys, big guys is also a true story. So you can imagine. I mean, I don't think he'd done any other true stories. Yeah, no, I get so, that. It's just, it, it, I, I remember seeing ads for it now and going, "Oh, Tim Burton." Well, I'm not seeing that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I found Big Eyes to be fantastic. I, but right, I was I'll, familiar. I'll I was out. familiar with the story. I mean, I, and and the original artwork more. Just I, I had heard the story. The original artwork I got familiar with after I heard about the movie being made because 
when my mom heard about the movie being made, she was like, oh, my God, they're making a movie about those big eyes paintings. And because she, you know, she was around when the big eyes paintings were popular and they were like popular. (laughs) Like, like everyone had a print on their wall. It it was that (laughs) Um, the so um, Alita. Now we go into least favorite. Least favorite. Um, I'm not like I said, I'm not a big Beetlejuice fan just because it was too weird and like creepy for me when I was a kid. Um, Also, not a huge. um, Let's see. uh, Not. yeah, not a huge Dark Shadows fan either. Um, just because I don't really care for uh, horror type themes, and and that was the a remake that was about a, a vampire and stuff, which which I thought was funny is in that they digitally edited out every single one of uh, Johnny Depp's blinks in Dark Shadows, so that way he was that much more creepy because he was like the vampire that never blinked. <laughs> um, yeah, but I didn't like that one. I didn't like. Beetlejuice, there are parts, but just it's just gross at times. I don't like. Um, not a big fan of Ed Wood. Yeah, there, and and the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory thing. There are parts of it that I appreciate, but I definitely like uh, Willy Wonka much better. I love Gene Wilder much better. It kind of you know made me hate Johnny Depp a little bit with his interpretation of the character. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, so we're we're on the same side, David. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. What about, what's uh, your least favorite? Um, my least favorite, I would have to say, were the Alice in Wonderland remakes. I, I, I you know what? That is probably the right answer. <laughs> and just what a hot mess that was! <laughs> like, just oh, dumpster fire. <laughs> Wow, you are like really passionate about anti-Burton. It's really awesome, actually. I think they were insulting to the original work. Agreed. I, I think there's things to appreciate in them, and if you can watch them completely without expectations, you can appreciate some things. But there are that stupid goddamn dance. Yeah, thank, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> Jesus. Yes. Oh my God. Aww. Uh, just, uh, what's your least? Is that your least favorite as well, Brian? No. Right, what's yours, Brian? Mars Attacks. What? I love, <laughs> I love Mars I Attacks because it's so freaking weird. I you wanna? He did Mars Attacks. Holy crap. Um. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give my opinion on Mars Attack. Hold on one second. Let me think about it really hard. Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is awesome how uh, how much we're at sides right now. I'm kind of loving this back and forth. There are real there are real laughs in Mars Attacks. There's some you know there's some funny stuff, but you know most of the movie is crap. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh! <laughs> but it's star but it's star studded crap. It, it, well, you know you can still put. Um, so much talent into that movie and didn't really do anything with it. They got, I they got Jack uh, Nicholson to be the president. <laughs> and and another role for some reason. Yeah. Um the He was the oil tycoon too, or whatever. Are, right? <laughs> there are so many wasted scenes in that movie. It's like <laughs> you know what there's pro I so I know a little bit about the backstory of Mars Attacks. Tim Burton made it deliberately bad. Interesting. Um 
So Tim Burton had just done Ed Wood, and his idea was what kind of movie would Ed Wood make if he had a budget? And he wanted to make Mars Attacks to be an Ed Wood movie and get a claim for it. But it, so there's lots of, so, I mean, that, you can see the influence there, like how he play, he has Jack Nicholson play two different parts. But it's not obvious. It's just, there's so many scenes with all these stars where they're not doing anything funny. They're just, there's like, let me give you a specific example. So like the boxer guy calls his wife and tells, you know, they have this whole conversation about, I love you, I love you. We're trying to get back together. Yeah. It's a comedy where the jokes. There's a scene where Michael J. Fox asks about being able to interview the aliens. No joke, no setup, no nothing. He never does get to interview an alien. I mean, he just gets killed right away. Um, there's a big scene at the beginning where a bunch of celebrities die. None of them had an opportunity to do anything funny in the entire movie up until that point. Um, there now. All right. So there's some good stuff in it. The aliens are designed really well, but half the time they're in the movie, all they're doing is running around instantly killing people. Um, there's a great scene near the end of the movie where they're like wreak havoc on the world by like bowling the Easter bowling the um, um, <laughs> Easter Island statues. Yeah, that was or so they, good. They um, they they kill a bunch of people with the Washington Monument. If the whole movie should have been that, not this dry buildup where it was like he was so obsessed with making the movie look like a bad 50s B movie that he made a bad 50s B movie. That's what I love about it, though, because it's so tongue in cheek. And it's it, like he knows what what he's going for. And he achieved it because he either sparked the interest of people like me or he pissed off people like you. <laughs> now, there are things I like, like the ack, ack, ack thing is funny. The end of the movie with the we come in peace. We do. We want to be your friends. That was hilarious. Oh, the, the, tra translator. The, the, the translator. They're murdering people. We want to be your friends. Shooting the, at them. Um, the country music making their heads explode. I find hilarious. I, I love that. And oh, that actually man. introduced me to that music because <laughs> I like that yo that old yodeling. I, th I think one of my favorite lines of that whole movie is where the old lady cackles at the TV screen. They blew up Congress. <laughs> <laughs> See, that uh, needs to happen right now, I think. Just there were there were so many great things that were missed. Like, I think Tom Jones could actually have been used. I mean, you had Tom Jones to play himself and he didn't do much in the movie. I mean, he's not an actor and you're limited by that. But a, a director can do great things with 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 an with you know with someone who's not an actor. But it they missed an opportunity. I think. I think they there was a scene. So this is one of Jack Black's first movies, and he's I not. I forgot he was in that. He just plays a dumb army guy that gets killed right away. <laughs> I know, but it's pretty amazing. I always forget that Jack Black was in it until. I rewatch it and I'm like, oh my gosh, look how young he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looks like a little boy. Um, Lucas Haas um, has this whole thing in the movie where he's obsessed with donuts, which I find fascinating. Where he like every scene he's in, he mentions getting a donut or giving someone a donut or or having donuts. I I I, I often wonder what the creative choice behind that was. <laughs> There's no payoff. I mean, he's not killed by, like, the Dave's Donut giant donut or anything. That would have been an amazing plot twist. Though. Yeah. Um, the irony. There, I think there's 
there's an attempt at ironic humor in the movie, but I think it falls flat. It's like irony developed by a fifth grade writer. I I don't know. That might be too vicious. I'll pull my teeth out a bit. I, I think the problem was he was trying, like I said before, he was trying to make a, with a modern budget, he was trying to make a bad fifties B movie. Unfortunately, he made a bad 50s B-movie with a modern budget. He didn't make a movie that was satirizing it. He actually made it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I love how, like, passionate you guys are about (laughs) in the opposite direction of me. This is fun. I will say that the the visuals in the movie are really cool. I love how the spaceships look. I love how the inside of the spaceships look. I love the alien suits. I, as a kid, seeing Mars Attacks, I had the Mars Attacks tops cards, so I knew I had I was familiar with the subject matter already. Nerd, um, <laughs> you had the you top. Know, <laughs> um, I was I was in like first second grade at the time. I, I saw the I've seen the movie quite a few times after that. Um, but um, being a kid in like the early '80s, everyone had all those crate trading cards. Everyone did. We all had Garbage Pail Kids. We all had Mars Attacks. We all had um, the Marvel cards. We collected them like crazy. It's the reason why things like Magic the Gathering got so popular because we were in high school when that came out and it was like, ooh, I get to feel like I did when I was a kid and had all those trading cards. I forget you're old. Yeah. (laughs) Mars Attacks, you must, you had to have been older than elementary age when it came out. It came out in 96. Oh, did it? Yeah. It was so that makes you even dirtier for having the tops cards. <laughs> so I was a, I was well, I had the tops cards when I was little, and then I had, then I saw the movie later. Okay, so the movie was pitched in '85, and then it was made in '96. There you go. That that's better. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, you and I are yeah. not. It's like you are not younger than me. There is no way. <laughs> yeah, '96. I was starting middle school. <laughs> oh, that's so precious. '96. I was a junior. <laughs> depending on, yeah, at '96. I was a junior or a, or a sophomore if it was later on in the year or in the summer. For, for, for more perspective, I turned ten. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right, because you were born in '86. I was born in '83. Yep. That's right, because you're the same age as my sister. Anyways. <laughs> Ha. <laughs> now you're you're only older than me when you're wearing that hat you were wearing the other day when I saw you. Oh yeah, because you said I look like an old Jewish lady. <laughs> 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 it was my uh, my quarantine disguise. Uh, funny. It was just a little. It was a cute little red little knit hat, and she looked like an old Jewish lady in it. That's it, funny. By the way, I, I, I say that only from myself. personal experience. I don't say that based on a stereotype. I just say that based on personal experience. Grew up in New York, met a lot of old Jewish ladies. <laughs> so you're saying I'm amazing and I nag a lot. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, not necessarily. They don't all nag. They're, they're most of them are very sweet. <laughs> um, I uh, okay. So um, I think that is it for our topic. Um, thank you, Alita, for your insight. Um, I think we explored. Tim Burton quite a bit. Um, now it is time for our um, our segment we've done for the last few episodes, Tales from the Extra Dimensional Portal. You need to or, 
you need Tales to talk- from the extra dimensional portal, 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 portal. You need to talk to our musicians. We need a new theme song. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you don't know already, Nerd Podcast Radio is in possession of an extra dimensional portal technology that allows us to travel anywhere within time and space and reality so we can go into any fictional, non-fictional, or existential realm using this technology its form changes from day to day and looks you know it uh, you know i am personally you know i feel like it's here but at the same time it's in all of our locations um so um just give you guys an idea of how we've been using it and just a little recap um originally anthony was our in the field correspondent using the portal and you know, we'd been asking Erica for a while and we didn't, she didn't want to, but I accidentally set it up so she would, which she got sent to some realms. But, you know, she's been having such good experiences. I've been wanting to use the portal. So at the beginning of the episode, I activated the technology. Wow. Um, but nothing seems to be happening. I mean, I'm still in front of my desk. I'm still in my apartment. Um, I mean, I, you know, I don't really, I don't really see anything that, what the? What are you doing at my computer? What are you, what? That, that, that. Brian? Hello? Brian? Dude. Uh, uh, hello? Hey, little weirdo. Where'd you go? So. Oh, cool. He's gone, so that means we can we can talk about him. We can tell stories. Oh, no, I'm here. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> what, what, what happened, Brian? I don't, I don't think anything happened. Everything's fine. Um, they're, you know, the... The cat jumped on my lap or something. Ah, I see. Do you have a cat? Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. So, with this extra-dimensional portal, how exactly do you activate it? And uh, what are the implications and what are the uh, drug interactive warnings or cautions or, you know, keep all your hands inside the portal at all times? Like, what are the... How do you use it safely? Well... Nerd Podcast Radio is in possession of an extra-dimensional portal that we can use to um, travel through space, time, reality, and fictional worlds and, you know, influence them for the better. Ooh, I like it. But does it have a butterfly effect? You know, when you're coming from a superior moral standards, butterfly effects don't matter. (laughs) Fair enough. Interesting. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, Erica did prevent a bunch of deaths at the Salem Witch Trial and whatever uh, universe she ended up in, so... Hmm. She did, huh? All right. Well, we're at the time in our podcast when we're wrapping up. Um, Alita, um, do you have anything of yours or someone else's you would like to promote? Uh, yeah, actually, well... Myself, I have been doing a lot of paintings. They're not posted yet, but um, with alitadag.com, I've been doing my COVID collection, which is a bunch of nice. weird abstracts, right? Weird abstracts, mostly pinup girls wearing masks um, with hand sanitizer. <laughs> yeah, that's, you'd have to see them. That's hot. Uh, it's, it's a thing. Also, another painting called Quarantini. Um, but... Uh, also, um, Wendy, also known as MW Horses, is the pen name, had uh, just released the first two books in the Reclaiming the Magic series. She's an author. Uh, and it is uh, the first one is called 
uh, A Raven Sings, and the second one is called A Raven Lost, and they can be found on Amazon and Kindle. Uh, that's M.W. Horses, uh, A Raven Sings, and A Raven Lost, part of the Reclaiming the Magic series. And they are, it basically reads like a, uh, a D&D telenovela, if you can think of that, like, uh, with all the different, um, you know, mages, spirit mages, shapeshifters, werewolves, vampires, um, all trying to live in, blend in with normal society. Raven Rain, vampire hunter, Native American spirit mage, and archaeologist has returned home to Portland. All she wants is to settle into her new life as a professor while keeping her family safe from the creatures that would kill them if they sensed the magic they possess. Home is not the sanctuary she expected, yet a hostile werewolf alpha and an ancient vampire are the least of her worries when two former lovers return to Raven's life with the promise of rekindling old flames. Each woman represents a different aspect of her past and the promise of shaping her future. The skills she gained as a hunter might not be enough to keep her family safe. An alliance that goes against Raven's very nature may be the only option to shield them from the brewing storm. Wow, that actually sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's not too shabby. Yeah, so I'm going to have to go check that out. There's my pitch. <laughs> I, um think that's fantastic i'm i'm definitely gonna check it out the blurb on amazon looks good um so um really good just to wrap up this episode we spent some time talking about tim burton and alita shared her wonderful expert view um on and it was nice to see some alternate takes i mean we have we have david who doesn't like most of his work me who likes some doesn't like others alita who really likes his work but recognizes flaws and you know she's very well informed about it it was it was a good discussion i appreciated it um thank you alita for being here um thank you david um and um you know we just share our support and thoughts for everyone who couldn't be here and going through hard times right now and um i just want to say i have been super vegan brian and i was joined by david the about the third uh bye everybody and Alita, Battle Angel. Woo! Thanks for having me. Take it easy. And if it's easy, take it twice. Uh, and uh, as usual, stay nerdy, stay informed, and stay awesome. Stay awesome. Hey, no! No! It's not me! It's not me!